Welcome to another edition of the Born in 87 podcast. Uh, on today's pod, we're going to talk about the team that I think it's safe to say we're by far the most optimistic about. It, it'd be nice to talk about the Mets today, Adam. How you doing? I'm good. I kind of wish baseball season was going to start already. There's so much like people are just so excited about the Mets and it's so positive and I don't believe it because um, the Mets always disappoint us. So I want to see if this really translates. I just want them to start playing. We got a couple of months to wait, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and it could be a few more because now there's talk they might not start the next season on time. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep things up positive today because uh, unlike when we usually talk about our teams, there's just there's nothing like not to be positive about with this team. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, you, we could certainly, I mean, you could always be critical of a team's decisions, but as far as like the overall feel around the franchise, I, I would think that is positive, but uh, let, let's bounce off some of this against uh, our guest today. Uh, it is recurring guest. And now I know there was some confusion about this. The last there was. time you came I was on. very confused about this, <laughs> but now you are by far the most frequent all time guest on the born in 87 podcast. It is Travis Williams on for a third time. How are you doing tonight, Travis? I'm good. It's a little late, but I'm, I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. It's every time I listen to the pod, I hear someone else hit a time I mark. There are a couple of people who hit number two, and I was going, oh, no. Oh, no. Someone's going to pass me. So this is good. It's you know, it's helping me keep the record up, and I'm, I'm very happy with that. So I'm glad well, to be congrats. here. Congratulations. Well deserved. Yeah. Well, it, it helps. I mean... Rooting for the Mets and Jets, uh, you've got a big advantage over a lot of the other people that uh, we rotate in and out. I feel like... And I'll I'll tell you, growing up, the Knicks were my number one team growing up in Queens. They've just... When I moved to Long Island, I became such a big hockey fan. And it became such a thing in high school to be like, NBA suck, talk about NHL. Especially after... uh, Really? That was a thing? I hate hockey. Well, there there you go. (laughs) That's the perfect example. So I kind of fell off the Knicks a bit, but I still always root for them. I'm just not passionate as it, they've just been so bad for so long that it's hard for me to just even care anymore. Yeah, I think, I mean, all these teams have been bad for a long time, but I mean, the Knicks have definitely taken it to another level. And unlike, I guess, with the Mets and Jets, there's there's a certain level of hopelessness with the Knicks that you, you don't necessarily feel with the other two teams. But, uh, and, but the Mets have hope, so let's let's stay with that. They do. They have lots and lots of hope. Yes. Uh, now, Travis, I, I feel like this is kind of mean, but we got to do it to you. So the last time you were on the pod, it was part of our uh, uh, Screw You Wilpon extravaganza episode. And uh, you told us what annoyed you or bothered you about the Wilpons. However, we felt like that isn't really going into the tortured fan corner. Because even though the Wilpons were annoying, the experiences the Wilpons I feel like aren't necessarily what you associate as being like the most painful moments or memories of the team. So what we're going to do now is officially put you in the tortured fan corner with the Mets and share your most painful Mets memory. Okay. So on some of my most painful sports memories are definitely associated with the Mets. Um, I, they have always been my, well, I mentioned next were top team. The Mets are really my number one team. I grew up in Flushing and didn't move to Merrick with you guys until 98. Um, and where I grew up was about five minutes from Shea. So I was really, really close. 
remember the first game I went to, it, I was watching at my grandmother's house and it was the fifth inning and my dad just decided, he looks at me and goes, heck, let's, let's go somewhere. I was kind of bummed. I'm like, I, I would like to watch the end of the game. He threw him in the car and we got there by the sixth inning. That's so awesome. yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was, it was, it was sweet. Um, and that was back in the days where come the eighth inning, you could give right someone five bucks field. and they, yeah, they'd let you go down and it wasn't a problem. Justin, so. I did that a ton. But um, so the tortured fan story, I have the first one is kind of funny. And on um, because I grew up in Flushing, my dad never paid for parking at the games. He would drive to a spot. And all I remember doing as a kid was going past the Western Beef, making okay. like going another block, making a right and ending up somewhere that was a park, which I now know is Flushing Meadow Park. I know but, um, exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but we would park in a spot that was free and we'd walk a little bit and we'd get there. And because this is on podcast, I'm not going to give any more specifics than that because it still works to this day. <laughs> so <laughs> I can attest to that it does because I've yes, done it. <laughs> yes. So um, on senior cut day in high school, um, a couple of people decided we were going to go to a Met game. And I was trying to remember, and this is 2006, so, you know, Google Maps and your smartphone isn't working is not an option. <laughs> and your mental map when you're driving at that point, you only have what you can try to remember your parents did, but we weren't driving enough as my first year having my license. And I remember as we're on Grand Central Parkway, all of a sudden I see a sign that all I remember it reading out was as like Chacarone Park. I don't remember what it's actually pronounced as, but kind of like packed and we're like, get off, get off here, get off here. And we were all the way in like Eastern Queens, we were still a good like 20 minutes from Shay and we had no idea how to get there. We had to call our parents, get us directions. Like how do you get That's back funny. on the highway? We got to the game, like just as it was starting and we were trying to get early and maybe get like, go to a deli beforehand and get some food to bring in. None that stuff didn't really happen. And we ended up having to pay for parking even once we got there. So that was just one stupidity moment. I always associate with the Mets, <laughs> but my real tortured fan moment is after the 2000 world series, we were all in middle school. I was in seventh grade. I know you guys were in eighth, but our good friend Ryan Becker is such a big Yankees fan, and he was such a dick about all of it. And I'm sure he's probably he'll listen to this and he'll start chuckling to himself as I say this. <laughs> proud of doing it, but I remember being outside the front of Merrick Avenue and seeing him wearing Yankee shoes, Yankee socks, Yankee sweatpants. <laughs> Like a Yankee jersey, probably a Yankee shirt with like the like raised turtleneck, so you could see the Yankee logo. It was a Yankee fleece, Yankee gloves, Yankee hat, and then a Yankee jacket, and just this stupid smile on his face. And he wore it so much, and it was just this constant torture, just having to go into seventh grade in middle school with the Mets losing to the Yankees. I'm sure so many people had experiences like this, but specifically Ryan Becker's face, just being so proud and happy. It was crushed. It was brutal. That's my tortured moment. I gotta say, sometimes I am a little jealous that Yankee fans get to root for the Yankees, but I would never switch over. Um, but it, just to naturally be a Yankee fan, must, it must be nice to win all the time. Maybe we'll get there. You know what's something that's really sad? When you were telling your first story about being in the car with other people and going to a deli and going to a Mecca, you know what the only <laughs> thing I could think of? It's like you must have been exposed to coronavirus so many times. It's just, <laughs> Oh my I, God, this year it needs I'd to be over. Like, you sat in a car with someone? You went into a deli? Were you wearing a mask? 
This is crazy behavior, Travis. So, so Travis, I'm about to bring up something completely unrelated to the Mets and baseball as a whole, but it does relate to Ryan Becker, who we will have on at some point. I I feel like, though, it's almost become he gets talked about so much on this podcast. It's like the mystique of him. It just keeps growing and growing. Now, Travis, you are not in our... uh, home fantasy football league but ryan becker is and ryan becker has definitely been the most consistent player in our league's history he's only won it once but he's been in the playoffs i think 11 out of 12 years he he, like it's unbelievable he's there every year i think this will make you feel better and maybe it's karma for what he did 20 years ago wearing all that yankee gear last week in the first round of the fantasy football playoffs he was facing james arnone and he accidentally left and injured Christian McCaffrey in his lineup when he had his backup, Mike Davis, on the bench. Becker lost by three points. Mike Davis had like 25. Becker would have won easily if he just made this simple switch and said he's out of the fantasy playoffs. James Arnone moved on. And I don't know. You, you think it's karma for what he did 20 years ago? I'm, I'm going to tell myself that, yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's go with it. <laughs> Let's ride the he accidentally wave. left. Screw you, Becker. <laughs> that may be the worst fantasy football mistake in the history of anyone's fantasy football league. Which I mean, I guess playoffs. if it happens, I know if it happened in the championship game, it'd be worse. But I can't imagine making a, a, a worse mistake. Yeah, that was really bad. All right, let's talk about the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't. I mean, we're they haven't done a lot. We're going to talk about the things that they've done and. Uh, share our thoughts on them and uh, also talk about the things that we would like them to do. Um, uh, yeah. Right. So I, I think the, the thing that uh, is the biggest news and cause especially cause we didn't know if it was definitely going to happen this off season, the Mets hired a uh, hired a GM that they brought in a uh, Josh Porter to uh, be there. Justin. What? That, <laughs> Travis, do you know who Josh Porter is? Not the GM of the Mets. <laughs> no, it was the not the Scrant. It was the um, oh, yes, the Scrant Branch manager, Stanford office, Stanford. Right. Sorry, yes, Stanford manager. <laughs> yes, that's their Mets general manager's Jared Porter. Josh Very Porter confusing. was in like as I'm looking at the episodes. outline, I'm like, did he type it wrong or did he say it wrong? He's just he can't get it right. <laughs> It's always on in our house. My wife always has it on in the background. I've seen so much of Josh Porter over the years. That's such a really good stretch of the office, too. The beginning of season. Was it season three? I always think it's season two. Well, it's when Ed Helms and Rashida Jones get brought in and they get get these new characters and Jim's and Stanford. Jim and Pam, will they, won't they? Love just a great, it's great. Yeah, but that's not the general manager. This is great podcasting already. And we've we've talked about Ryan Becker, his uh, Yankee outfit in 2000, his uh, benching uh, or his starting of Christian McCaffrey and Josh Porter of The Office. Sorry, Jared Porter is the new general manager of the New York Mets. Uh, this isn't something we even thought might necessarily happen. A lot of people thought Sandy would just sort of act as a GM this uh, this offseason uh, until they eventually hired someone. But they've brought in Jared Porter. And by all account, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really happy with this. Uh, he's so, 41. As you guys know, I am a really... I've been following Jared Porter for the last 10 years. I know a lot about him and I was tweeting. No, I have no idea who he is either. I mean, no one really does, right? Like people were writing. I say, how would I know great, that? I have no yeah, idea what I'm talking about. People, everyone's writing stories about what a great, they have no idea. I mean, he worked no one has any idea, great. but here's what you, it seems good. Other people wanted him, right? Yes. And that's scout. 
and that's the most positive. Daniel, not I don't yeah. know. People just here's what I think is the right. most positive part about this is that okay. uh, he had offers from the Cubs and the Angels, and those are teams that are known to spend a lot of money. And uh, because he's a general manager, it's not like anybody knows how much he's making per year. But clearly, this is the guy that Sandy wanted, and Uncle Steve went out and made it happen because you know Porter took this job, and maybe there were you know on-field reasons as to why he wanted this job over uh, the jobs with the Cubs or the Angels. But at the end of the day, I got to believe that Uncle Steve said, you know what, you want, Sandy, I trust you. You say this is the guy for the job. I will, whatever these other teams are paying, I'll pay more. And Normally it's just with the great Mets, to see that. Knicks, and Jets, like players turn us down, right? It was, uh, who was the linebacker from the Vikings? Who Anthony Barr. Initi- Who's like, I'm gonna go to the Jets, and then people were like, Anthony, stop it. You just the Jets, and then he left. Like, this is the opposite. He had three offers and he took the Mets. That feels well, so good. If, it makes me think happy. of uh, just looking at from an outside perspective, though. If you're a potential GM and you're getting offers from any team, and there's a brand new owner who has said what this owner has said, why wouldn't you want that job? Yeah. You know, the, the biggest issue that the Mets people have had in the past. Like, is, we don't want to go to the Mets because it's too much pressure. There was there was something that was reported that they were having trouble getting people because the the owner was putting too much pressure to win a championship. That's possible. I just feel like if it was me, I'd be so happy to go somewhere where they're willing to spend, and that's not as much of the issue. And this is one case where I feel like I know everyone always screamed for a while with the Knicks, like "Oh, don't come! It's MSG. That's all crap." Now, no one wants to do it. It's too much of a headache. The Mets in this situation, I feel like they've they've cleaned up the biggest headache. And yeah, there's gonna be pressure, but you always are gonna have the Yankees next door to be the biggest story. So it's not going to be the worst situation in town. And it's my thing with Sam Darnold. Like, if you can't GM. handle if you can't handle pressure, you shouldn't be the general manager of a major league organization. If you can't handle competition, you shouldn't be the starting quarterback of an NFL team, right? <laughs> like if you can't handle it, you should do it. This is professional sports. Right, like if you, if you if you if you're worried about winning a championship in the next three years, go do something else. Don't be the general manager of a baseball team. Yeah, but to all that, uh, and going back to what you said, Travis, about oh, why wouldn't you want to come to the Mets? And for what it's worth, I mean, <laughs> the Mets exactly. But uh, but not only that. Again, looking at the two teams that gave him offers, I mean, first off, one of those teams was the Angels, and I mean, the Angels have been a dumpster fire uh, in recent years, but. Uh, you know, at least from a lifestyle standpoint, I mean, Los Angeles, it's nice. It's warm. Uh, Anaheim. A lot of people like Justin, to leave it's there. It's not Los Angeles. Sorry. It's Southern Anaheim. California. Uh, Los Angeles, know. Angels of Anaheim. Right. But it's point being, nice place to live. He could have chosen that. And, you know, at least with the Cubs, I mean, Porter was a part of the front office uh, when the Cubs won a World Series in 2016. So, I mean, he, he had previously worked there. And a lot of times, you know, you want to do something that's familiar and, you know, he very easily could have taken that job just sort of knowing what to expect. I mean, there's a lot more unknown with the Mets. He still took the job. So I, I just think for so many reasons, it's a positive that this, ha- you know, that uh, Sandy and Uncle Steve were able to make this happen. Maybe, uh, you know, two years from now, we're going to be screaming about Jared Porter the way we did uh, Brody Van Wagen about how uh, terrible he is. But hopefully that's not I the case. I don't think so. I really don't think so. It yeah, was I'm, so hard to be as bad as Brody. He was so bad. Yeah. We, we, Justin, Let's we try to stay like, positive. Let's try to stay positive we, here. We went through <laughs> 60 future. trades and moves he made, and almost all of them were horrible. Almost, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's also important to note, though, that uh, 
and I is that it, it feels like the Mets went the complete opposite direction. So like the last GM they br- brought in had no front office experience in baseball. He was an agent. And this guy is a guy who he's 41. He started working in baseball in his early twenties. Uh, he has, he's been in the front office of four world series championship teams, three with the Red Sox, one with the Cubs. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, started as a scout. He's grown up in baseball and worked his way to this point. Like it's just the complete polar opposite. And after just those two train wreck years with Brody, uh, it's refreshing to see this kind of guy get the job. I think one thing that does have to be asked though, is he worked under Theo Epstein in Boston. He followed him to Chicago. Now the last four years he, he left Theo and uh, worked for the Arizona diamondbacks. Uh, And this certainly wouldn't be a bad thing, but do you think part of the reason uh, they brought in Porter is that they have their eyes on bringing in Theo into the front office in a year when maybe he wants to get back into baseball? Could that have something to do with this? I I just, I think if you work under Theo, it's a good boost on your resume. We've all looked at what he's done in his two jobs and they've been very successful in places that have had problems. So (laughs) understatement of the year, (laughs) the two most cursed franchises in the history of the world and get them titles. Right. He's the greatest so like, he did all right. This person he, in the he did, history he of did pretty, pretty good. Pretty. So, yeah. So uh, here's what I'm most excited about with Jared Porter. He doesn't appear to have a weird relationship with Jed Lowry. Right? I mean, I think at some point we're going to figure out that the Brody thing was just a scheme to get Jed Lowry money. And watch, now Brody will go back. He'll be uh, Jed Lowry's agent. He'll get like some sort of kickback on it. Like that was very Fugazi. Fugazi? I don't know, Justin. Should that be the I last time I ever use the word use the word Fugazi on the podcast? <sighs> no opinion. I got, I got nothing else on uh Jared Porter. J- Jared, not Josh Porter? Not Josh Porter. I could talk about Josh Porter, but this is an office podcast. I got some <laughs> I got some deep cuts on uh Josh Porter. I I am though transition. I am very excited about the McCann. Signing. Are you? Can you tell me on it? Because I, I read some Keith Law stuff on him today, and I'm feeling pretty down about it. I'm myself just excited. I, I was very concerned with the uh, Rilamuto possible signing because of how much more expensive he's projecting to be, and because of how much risk comes with the catcher at this age. That was the biggest thing that stuck out to me, and that we got him. It was at forty million over four years, right? Yes. As, as not that let's say it is uh, end up being a terrible deal. It's not going to all of a sudden sneak onto the list of worst free agent signings the Mets have had. You know, it's for what you're getting value to dollar. And I know we've all talked to, it doesn't matter anymore. They can spend whatever they want, but there is a limit. Um, I, I like it because I think it opens them up to doing other things with their signings. And it's not throwing so much cash, record-setting catcher cash at your catcher. So, and he was the next best option. He's played really well the last few years, um, and it's an improvement. So, I'm I'm happy with it. And there's the other reason. So, sorry, you go first, Adam. I was gonna say. So here's the other side of it. So he's 30, right? He's not young. He's not a very he's not very good at throwing runners out. He last year after making an All Star team in 2019 platooned. He was not the everyday starter for the the White Sox. His splits are 
kind of bananas. Um, I had them open. He last year hit 232 against right-handed pitching and 429 against left-handed pitching. He's apparently a very good pitch framer, and he's apparently excellent at um, building relationships with his pitchers and calling a good game. Um, so, I mean, I am just concerned that he's never, re- with the exception of one year, been a starter. And they, they certainly gave him starting money. So maybe he continues to be what he was the last two years and maybe gets a little better against right-handed pitching, but he's not real Muto. Um, Here's, so at first, so a lot of those points you brought up, this is, uh, I was not like ecstatic with it when it first happened because I was hoping for real Muto. And a lot of it has to do with what you just said, Adam. But after like sleeping on it, uh, I, I am actually really happy with this. So, Going into this offseason, I, I and we're going to get into this more, but I, I think catcher was by far their biggest need. Um, like one thing we're going to talk about is a lot of the players that they could potentially go, you know, that uh, sorry, Jared Porter could go out and sign or trade for. In a lot of instances, they'd be luxury kind of moves like the Mets. Uh, would be okay going with the guys they had. That's not the case with catcher. I think the only catcher they have on the roster right now before uh, McCann was Tomas Nito and they needed a catcher in the worst way. McCann was clearly the number two catcher on the market. And the way I feel about it is that if the Mets didn't sign McCann now, he would have likely gone and signed somewhere else. And as you see a lot of times with these really top level free agents, they don't end up signing until January, February, even early March sometimes. And if the Mets waited it out for Real Muto and for whatever reason, he decided, you know what? New York's not for me. I'm not going to sign there. Now, all of a sudden, you're left with a situation where you're, you know, One either having to. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're getting like a 40-year-old Yadi Molina or starting Tomas Nito. That would have made me so angry. So angry. Exactly. That would have been so- unforgivable in my book. Yes, Can't. which is could why I felt they had to sign McCann now. Because if they let Ramos McCann back. walk. Ramos I'm just real. kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. But for that reason, <laughs> this was their biggest need. They had to get one of the top oh, two catchers. And I'm perfectly fine with them saying, you know what? We're going to sign McCann and not roll the dice that uh, Real Muto signs with us in February. Because if he doesn't, we're really screwed. And now all of a sudden, we just have this black hole in our lineup at the catcher position. So I think it's a four year deal that, that makes way, me nervous. But it shouldn't make you nervous because with everything you hear about all this money that Steve Cohen has, yeah, they had to sign him for four years. But you know what? If he gives you two, if he gives you two good years and he sucks in twenty three and twenty four, then you know what? You could always cut so, him. You could trade him. You eat those last two years, and you know what? It was worth it. Here's the problem: we're talking all potential right now. They've made two moves, so like if they go and bring in a bunch of other people, and this is like. Just they just needed a catcher and they brought in a marginally above average catcher, but they signed a bunch of other great players. Fine, but it's until they do that, we we don't know, right? Like well, it's, it's kind of like if, talking, this, if their offseason ends today, it's a crappy offseason. It's like the moment everyone talked about the Porzingis trade. Not to get everyone going on that, but it's like it was if this leads to right X, good. If it but, leads to Y, bad. And it led like, to Y. You assume that they make this move. They they make this move, and it seems they've done it like Justin said, to allow them to 
knock over the next couple dominoes. Exactly. Exactly, Travis. Because they needed to bring in a catcher. And by signing a free agent catcher, and you know, I don't even know what would be out there in the trade market right now, but by bringing in this free agent catcher, now you can look at the rest of your offseason and be like, okay, if we if we sign this guy, what does it allow us to do with all this? Like they no matter what they needed a catcher and ideally one in free agency so that you didn't have to give up anything and you could just look at your team and be like, okay, if we do X, what does that mean for Y and Z? Uh, so, and I think that we should now look into if they sign certain guys, what does it mean for the rest of the team? Well, we and I talk about the reliever they brought in, they brought in May, who is as a below a four ERA has been pretty consistent. Like, you know, I, I want them to just build up their bullpen. There's been talks that they're interested in bringing Liam Hendricks. If they just build the best bullpen in the league, I think that's a win. Um, and they, they easily could do that. So if they don't sign any outfielders, they don't sign any other hitters, but they go sign May and Hendricks and maybe Brad Hand. Cool. Let's just let's just have the best bullpen in the league. Yeah. And one I mean, I think another thing interesting too is as we're gonna talk about is you know, if they if they sign some of the guys that are, you know, rumored, uh, whether it's a you know, a Springer or a LeMayhew or uh, you know, do they end up trading maybe some of their other pieces for a reliever, but let's, let's get into that. Cause at least I think that's like the more interesting discussion as far as how the rest of this off season may go. And uh, l- let's start with uh, George Springer. Cause this is a guy that's been heavily rumored to the New York Mets. I also think for the purpose of this podcast, we should go off of what baseball has said. And baseball has said, there's not prepare as though there is not going to be a designated hitter in the national league in 2021. All you need to know about how bad baseball's run that we still don't know if there's a DH. It's crazy, but going off the premise that there's not going to be a DH in the national league, let's have this discussion. So right now, uh, the way the Mets outfield would be constituted is Michael Conforto and right Brandon Nimmo in center and Dom Smith in left field. Uh, if the Mets, so if the Mets sign George Springer, George Springer's great. Uh, Travis, I know you lived in Houston for a number of years. Last time you were on the podcast, you said uh, you really wanted them to bring in Springer. Uh, be you know, great for the team, great player, Correct. helps them up the middle. Uh, but it does lead to, and I don't think there's any question he improves the team if you bring him in. But it then leads to some questions. Uh, what does it do to the other guys you have on the roster? Uh, what do you think? And let's let's start with the guy who was top five in all of baseball last year in OPS, Dominic Smith. Uh, we know Dom Smith is a natural first baseman, but the Mets have a guy named Pete Alonso. Uh, Dom Smith certainly made some strides in left field next year. Uh, I, I I wouldn't do anything with Dom Smith. I'd let him play left field every day uh, if he's subpar defensively. So be it. But uh, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Adam, you can go first. I would just trade Pete Alonso. I don't, I wouldn't even think twice about it. I would get literally, I mean, I would, I'd probably try to get a starting pitcher or maybe an elite reliever. But why, um, why trade? Why not just play, play Dom and left and Alonzo at first? So you're getting rid of Nimmo in this situation? Well, or. So you're assuming we sign Springer, Conforto plays one of the outfield spots. Yeah, Conforto and right and Dom and left. That's what I would do. I don't know if you remember, like right before last season started, do you remember what I said to you about Pete Alonzo? It was right before the season started. I said, I was worried that he was a one-year flash in the pan, that it was just a small sample size. His numbers as a rookie outpaced his numbers in the minors, and I was worried that he was going to be able to keep it up. Um, I don't have those concerns with Dom. 
right? Dom isn't just a masher. And we saw Alonzo not look very good last year. I would I like Pete Alonso. In fairness, though, to Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso still was one of the top home run hitters in all of baseball last year. In just 60 games, he hit 16 home runs. That's a pace of about 45 for a full season. I mean, there's no question, Pete. I mean, for a guy that supposedly had this huge sophomore slump, he had the equivalent of what would have been 45 home runs for a full season. I, I think the Mets should have a really good defense, right? I think that's a good way for them to win. Um, and Dom Smith and left, they're not going to have an elite defense. But Dom when Smith, was the last time the Mets had a really good defense, they should next year, right? They signed like, Springer. Dom Smith back, is a great first baseman. Like, they have Jimenez, JD Davis, made a lot. They could have a very good defense next year. My question though is, if you trade away Pete Alonso, like I don't is know, it just feels hard to me that you're ever going to get equal value, like anything close to equal value back for Pete Alonso if you trade him now, a guy that you have under team control for four more seasons. I don't think. I don't think it makes sense to have them both on the same team unless there's a DH. I well, think you just have to get thing. rid of one of them. I don't know. I also think it's short-sighted because, and again, this shows how dysfunctional baseball is, is that even though they've said prepare as though there's not going to be a DH in 2021, all the rumors you hear is that the DH is going to then come back in 2022. And if this is only going to be a one-year thing, I'd hate to give away Pete Alonso when you have such a clear role for them just one year down the road. I don't think they're going to trade Pete Alonso, and I don't think they're going to trade Dom Smith. I, I do worry what happens if you sign Springer, but my preference would be to keep Smith, keep him at first, let him know that he's he's your guy. But I, I understand Alonso. Would a you big trade part of the Brandon team. Nimmo? Would you trade Brandon Nimmo? I just think you can get a lot more for Alonso than you could for Nimmo, um, and I think but this I'm team not, can really compete next year. But I, forgetting I, about what you would get in a trade, I mean, you're also though trade. I mean, if you trade away Pete Alonso and keep Brandon Nimmo, you're also trading away the far more valuable player. Right, but Nimmo is a great fourth outfielder, right? He or that'd be the other option. If you need him. Yeah, and there's always injuries, so you never know. I don't which, mind having Brandon Nimmo on the roster. That is something I was as I was going through these scenarios we had laid out. It occurred to me there are so many seasons with the Mets where I've started by going this looks great. They filled all their pieces. And then it's like two weeks in, you're like, they have so many holes to fill. And this is all falling apart just because of injuries. So if there's, if there's any team that needs to have uh, just excessive yeah. amounts of depth, it's the Mets. I mean, the other thing for me is I really like Pete Alonso and I really like Dom Smith. I think they both deserve to start every day at the position they were meant for. And if you could get pretty close to it, you know, a full dollar on the dollar for Alonzo and he can go somewhere else and be great. I, I wouldn't feel bad about that. If you can get equal value at a different position, they both deserve to start every day at first base. They're both above average to elite defensive start first baseman. They're both elite hitters. I think Dom is much better. That's my personal preference. I, I want to see them both succeed. I don't want to see one of them play left field and be not utilized to the best of their ability. Yeah. I think that's the real. I mean, I think that's most likely what's going to happen because I, I just, do too. I just think I, it's a waste. I feel bad for Dom that he has to play left when he's such a good first baseman. Yeah, yeah, and it also kind of said because Dom is, I guess, if you want to say he's the better athlete, because <laughs> uh, you know he's worked more. You know, he I guess is the guy that they figured is more capable of playing another position. Now the guy who's the lesser defensive first baseman ends up getting to continue playing first base in yeah. this scenario. 
sucks that I, there's not going to be. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I've always been such a proponent of loving National League baseball. And personally, I'm maybe I'm in the minority here. I've always just loved the strategy of National League baseball and being able to watch a game and have that discussion of, oh, you know, what are they going to do here? The pitcher spots coming up. Uh, you know, do you do the double switch? But with the way this team is constructed and how much I love both Pete Alonso and Dom Smith, it is a shame that you don't have that DH spot for one of them. Or I mean, for Alonso, I guess. With Seems Dom like it still might happen. Who, who knows? Baseball's it's, biz- it's really bizarre. Because if yeah, you have no, the D- I, I agree with you, Justin. I have always, I've always been one to hate the DH. And it is a weird spot because this specific team would benefit so much from it. But I do. I, I if I remove myself from looking at this Mets current roster, I do want pitchers to be hitting again. I just like the flow of the game so much better. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's almost like it's been set up for this way to convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just weird too, because also it's like with the DH it's, it's an absolute, I mean, it's probably a no brainer either way, but with, with the DH, it's a no brainer. You bring in, you try, you go out, sign George Springer. He plays center field. You put Brandon Nimmo in left. You have Alonzo to DH and you have Dom Smith at first base. It all fits in so nicely without the DH. I mean, let's, let's say it, George Springer, even though he'd be great, he is a bit of a luxury because you very well, if you don't sign Springer, you could absolutely go into next year with Brandon Nimmo in center, Dom Smith in left. It's not the greatest, it's not the greatest defensive lineup, but offensively you'll be in pretty good shape. I just, I, they've been ignoring defense um, for so long. I, I, I think they need to put a premium on that. And I think they will. I think they will try to sign Springer. And I, I, if they, he has, if they have that much money, I think they'll get him. Yeah. Uh, to, to the conversation though, about if there is no DH or a DH, um, I do have to say, if there is no DH, it is something that as I look at it, it does make me want them to move on uh, Lindor because I feel like they have pieces that they can move. And at that point, it's it's not hurting you as much to give things up for, I, I know there's pieces that have to go and it's a risk for one year. Um, but oh, you're saying if there is no, if DH there's no DH, year, you have, more, yeah. have excess, you have like excessive talent now at positions that can't all be put on the field. So you might as well package a couple of them together to get um, a player of elite talent. Higher Let's talk talent. about Lindor now. I mean, yeah. my, my concern with him is it does seem like he's on the decline. Um, last year wasn't as good as years before. Um, his war isn't like what people think it is. Um, so, I mean, I would, I would love to get him, um, but I'm not willing to give up Dom. I mean, I would do him straight up for um, P. Alonzo. I don't think other Met fans would like that. I'd I mean, be- they don't really have a, they don't have a ton of minor leaguers. They need to rebuild their minor league. So they're they're trading major leaguers for him. I would uh, trade Pete Alonso for Lindor before I would trade Jeff McNeil. I'll say that much. Yeah, I, me I, too. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I think McNeil is more important to the team. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, but that would be it. I would do it straight. I wouldn't give anything else up. Maybe Jimenez because he's kind of a luxury, but he also could play second base. I wouldn't mind having Jimenez as a, a utility player. Yeah. So at least one of the way I one of the ways I feel I. I would not trade for Lindor now uh, for the following. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, it depends on the cost because I mean, a lot of, you know, you listen to WFAN in New York and people call up all the time and it's like, oh, they never should have traded for Giancarlo Stan and Giancarlo Stan sucks. He's always hurt. But you look back on it and the Yankees had to give up next to nothing. Nothing. To get him, and if Cleveland's you end up in a situation, not gonna do that. They're, they're I don't gonna think so. something. 
I don't, th- I don't think so either. But again, I mean, if, if, you, if you're really like if the best major league piece you have to give up in a Lindor trade is like a Med Rosario, say, yeah, you, you go and, ahead. And that is, right. You do both, right. Both of them and one minor leaguer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you could do that. But on the other hand, yeah, the Mets do have Andres Jimenez and Ahmad Rosario. They also I apologize. I forget his name, but they have another top shortstop prospect in the minors. And on top of all this, uh Next offseason, you have Lindor, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, and Javi Baez, who are all going to hit free agency. Okay. Uh, Good luck getting uh, anyone from the Dodgers. Okay, but okay, the, but the other three guys, Lindor, Story, and Baez, will all be free agents in 2021, and the Mets have an owner that's willing to spend a ton of money. Uh, this means two things. A, you could wait a year and sign one of these guys and not have to give up anything, or B... Uh, you know, wait and see. I mean, I think a lot of Mets fans were really pleased with what they saw from Andres Jimenez in uh, 2020. Uh, you know, I'd like to see what he does, you know, given the full offseason and, you know, given a chance to have the starting job. And I think the Mets are also in a unique situation where they've got these two guys in Jimenez and Rosario there to kind of push each other. Like both guys know they have to perform or otherwise you have this other guy ready there to take your job. Uh, I think Adam it's kind of over between the two of them, but I, I'm not a Rosario fan. Yeah, but you understand my point, though, is that if Jimenez was it's, to suck, you do have Rosario there. Uh, the other, and I think the other part of this too is, uh, who see what you have with Jimenez because a lot of these guys may be available at the trade deadline this year. Like you don't necessarily have to go into the season with a Francisco Lindor. I mean, maybe the Cubs don't live up to expectations or the Rockies end up sucking and you able to get one of these guys at the, at the trade deadline, you know, just, just see what you have before you start dealing away pieces that might hurt your major league team this year. That's at least how I feel with the shortstop situation. I don't know. If that was, that, I don't have a lot to add on Travis beginning. Oh uh, yeah, I mean it that all works for me. I I'm I like the idea of getting them. I think in the back of my mind I, I've always had this feeling like uh yeah, I want the Mets to be good long term. I want them to have a good plan, solid plan. But I have this lack of trust that if they do something that's like, you know, we're trying we're trying to make this work for three years, three years from now, it's all going to be burned itself to the ground and nothing's going to happen. And it's going to be like in 2015, after they lost the world series, we're all like, don't worry. They got their year early, specifically something Justin said to me. And I, you know, and my feelings always yeah. been, no, there's no early. There's no <laughs> Win it now. Yeah. I mean, Lador's 27, Springer's 31, LeMayhew's 32. I mean, there, well, let's there's talk a about DJ LeMayhew. He's great. He's 32. He, I'd he love to exceeded do it. all of his career expectations. I mean, he's, he's done so much better than he was earlier in his career at Yankee stadium and where it's not going to translate elsewhere. And also it's just talk about a luxury. You just, you don't need another middle infield. Well, that I was going to say one, it creates some real problems with your roster and what do you do with pieces. Now you have to like, you're really looking to move things around and shuffle. And I, the only reason I enjoy it is because you'd be taking him from who you're taking him from. It's, <laughs> That's really it. I, I think there are other moves that help the team without creating as much of a, um, you know, problem of riches, which isn't a bad thing. But I just for the for what it is, I don't think it's necessary for the team. I, I agree with you, Travis. One, what? Because the, the thing is, too, is you bring in Lemayhu. 
Uh, he's probably going to play third base for you since it's, it seems like Jeff McNeil is going to be the uh, second baseman. And if you bring him in, I mean, I, I think you have to move J.D. Davis. And I don't know. I mean, I guess J.D. Davis could get you a quality reliever, but I don't know. I feel like I'd just rather have J.D. Davis. I, I don't understand why people like I don't know. It feels like a lot of Met fans are down on J.D. I, I, I don't really understand. It was it. great he last was- year. I mean, he did. Str- I mean, he struggled in September, but he was unbelievable in 2019. He had a really good. It was only two month season last year, and he struggled in one of those two months. I mean, it's very possible that if it was a six month season, he has another good four months after that. A lot of guys have a bad month in a season. It's just it gets, uh, you know, it's it's easier to spot out in a two month season. Uh, and I don't know. People were like, are really crapping on his defense. I, I thought. I mean, I don't. I thought he was fine his at third base. Defense is great. His defense I thought he was, was really good at third baseman. I don't, I, I don't get it. We both watched a ton of Mets last year. He was very good at third base consistently. It, just kind of a random point of something that made me think of with all these guys we've been talking about, where do you move them? How do you fit them into the puzzle? There are sometimes watching the current makeup of this Mets team. I felt like it was like almost structured like a little league team where, you know, coaching staff goes, all right, who wants to play what position today? <laughs> you were at first last game. So let's move you here and shuffle this around. It's like, there's a million guys who are almost like utility players on this team. That was very much how Brody Van Wagen and treated. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, and, that, and that's McNeil. when you guys are talking about like Dom Smith and left field, like it's just people should play their regular position. They'll be better hitters and they will be better defenders. Um, you might have to make some tough decisions. And I don't think bringing in DJ LeMahieu is a good idea. Unless you want to like make some crazy ass trades where, you know, you're trading, I don't know, Jeff McNeil for, I don't even know who you do that, but it just seems unnecessary. Just don't bring him in, bring in George Springer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if we were going to do like a trade value column, I, I feel like after uh, Jacob deGrom, I'd have Jeff McNeil second on my list as far as untradeable players on this team. When you consider just how good a hitter he is, uh, I and have, and the fact that he plays so many positions. Of those people was your number one, Dom Smith. Yes, but you're irrational. He's how is number one not? How is your number one not Jacob Degrom? Jacob Degrom is on a run where he's one of the best Dom, pitchers of all time. How old is Dominic Smith? Dom Smith is like 26. I I don't want to say this, but Degrom is going to start declining. He's I think 32. Yeah, he's I, Dom Smith is 25. He was the fifth best hitter in baseball. He's an elite. I don't know. I mean, I'm baseman. knocking on a lot of wood right now, but I mean, Jacob I Degrom is completely. De- Jacob, Jacob Degrom has completely defied everything and anything that anyone ever could have said about him. So who knows? I un- I understand. Well, I'll, I'll I agree just... with Adam here that he's gonna still be good, but there is gonna come a point where. It's gonna have to start to change. Most pitchers who um carry on into their mid to late 30s have to start adjusting the way in which they pitch you know so it it, it's going to start to regress at some point i would say there's a better chance that dom smith is the mvp in two years that Degrom wins the side of in two years and i think it's close i don't think that i think that's maybe a little bit irrational but a little it's a little bit uh Dom Smith winning the MVP in two years seems a little bit of a he got he got he was I think this is also MVP voting this year at 25. The Mets are also a franchise that have had many Cy Young winners and have never had an MVP winner in their history. Dom Smith, I don't think people realize how good he was. I know maybe you guys do, but he was unbelievable. I love Dom Smith. I'd probably put him third on that list of untradeable guys. I wouldn't trade him for anybody in the whole league. 
separate subject. What do you guys feel about Bauer? Yeah, let's, oh, let's, I, I, I want him right now. I don't, yeah, go I, get him. They, they need another pitcher. I was going to say, right now, so of all the better. conversation we just had about we have to move this guy, how do you shift him around? There's none of that with him. It's just, it's just, it's just get him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the little, reason we, he's a little bit of a head case. Um, he's an extremely hard worker. He's very creative. I he's been a little up and down where his his ups have been extremely high. Where right? he he won the Cy Young this year, yeah, this year, and but in a two, two months years ago he sh- either did or he was no it was top. it was two years ago he played well last year in 2019 I think he regressed he was okay he was on my fantasy team last year he was, but then this he year he had a great season in the yeah. short season so, yeah. I mean, I mean go get him I don't think he's going to be worse than a second or third starter. And those are hard to come by. And at best, he's a Cy Young winner. So I, I would, when, he's the guy Syndergaard I want more comes back, that's quite the rotation that the I'm Mets very have. worried about Noah Syndergaard. Extremely worried about Noah Yeah, Syndergaard. I mean, honestly, I don't think... Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, I mean, as we saw last year, you can never I need have my enough son pitching. after Noah Syndergaard. I wouldn't be banging on him <laughs> this year. Yeah, I mean, as we've seen, you can never have enough pitching. I mean, you look at the rotation now. You have DeGrom, Stroman... Peterson, uh, and and that, that's I mean you don't really know after that. I mean we don't know yet if Lugo is going to be in the rotation or in the bullpen. Uh, I mean Stephen Matz at this point is like a flyer that you hope can maybe get a couple batters out, probably out of the bullpen. I can't imagine a world where Matz is in their uh, starting five to begin the year. Uh, as we said, Noah's not going to be ready by opening day. I think they need to go out and get two starting pitchers. There's guys out there to go get. I mean even beyond the big prize and Bauer. Uh, you know, go go get a Tanaka or you know somebody else. Like, uh, there's been I, some I, talk about them trading for was it Snell from on uh, Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I, he's going to cost you. And Tampa's a tough team team to trade with. I mean, Tampa's so smart with what they do. It's like I'd rather trade for him than Lindor. Yeah, I mean, it all depends. It all depends upon the price. I mean, I'm also in favor of this new world with Steve Cohen of you know signing guys and not having to not having to trade pieces away. I mean, you the know, starting pitching market isn't very deep. So you have is Odrizo and you have Bauer. And then there's, a, I think there's a pretty big drop off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if you did end up bringing in a DJ LeMahieu, then I'd be willing to trade JD Davis for a good, you know, in a package for a good starting pitcher. Cause I mean, at that point, I guess he'd be expendable, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do. Uh, I mean, I think I feel like with the starting pitchers, we know they need it. There's guys out there. They could sign, uh, and they have holes in the rotation, so it, it doesn't move a whole lot around. That's why I thought the other, you know, we spent more time on the position players because uh, there's so much of a domino effect of like, you know, if they sign a Springer or trade for a Lindor or a Le, sign a LeMayhew, it just it moves so many other pieces around, and, and you have to decide, you know, what position is this guy not going to play? Is this guy even going to be in the team? Do we trade him? Do we make like Nimmo a fourth outfielder? But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, you it's know, nice Porter, to have hope. And like a real believable hope, not just some BS. I'm making myself as a Mets fan excited. Like you really feel like there's people who have a plan. They're trying to do the right thing, and they have the ability to do the right thing. Let me do the counter. So far, they've signed a uh, middle reliever and a backup catcher. Oh, that's and gave fair. Them money. That's it. That's all they've done. <laughs> that's fair. That's but has any has anyone in Major League Baseball signed anyone? I don't think so. I think um, the Mets have been Atlanta like signed Charlie Morton. The Mets might have the most signings of any team. Yeah, it's still very early in the offseason. It's still, I'll believe it when I see it. And the Mets just got a GM. But so. that's the key with hope. <laughs> it's, you know, right now it's a feeling like you can believe without seeing. 
I'm sure, yeah, talk to me in two months. I might be like, I hate this team. This was such bull crap. This is all stupid. Why do we do this to ourselves? We've waited so long, me and Justin and you, Travis, for our teams to be good. I just, I want to see that the Mets do it. I don't want to wait anymore. Just, I want to wake up tomorrow and see that they sign Trevor Bauer. That would be nice. It's going to happen. Yeah. And let's hope that that happens. Uh, so we, we, I guess that that's been our theme has been a hope about, uh, the Mets. And, uh, even, even though I feel like it's been sort of a weird road to get to this point of the podcast, we, we, we've talked early on, we talked a lot about Ryan Becker and, uh, Christian McCaffrey, but, uh, <laughs> let's talk uh, about Ryan Becker is, more. What's happening, Justin. I, I was trying to figure out a clever segue to say, uh, no that we're a podcast that talks about the Mets, Knicks and the Jets. And, uh, let, let's segue back into, uh, football because uh this past uh saturday night uh on snl there was a skit involving the new york jets and uh we we had to at least uh <laughs> we had to at least uh talk about it briefly I, I know you were excited when we put this in the outline travis i mean i thought it was fantastic <laughs> there's something about the uh the mocking of the just the tone and style of voice that so many of like the sports radio uh host, Long Island Jet fans callers, Long Island <laughs> Jet fans, all just New York Jet, just especially as someone going to at well while I was at Syracuse, I had a lot of friends who were Giants and Pats fans. And I think about the amount of time that I've known them. Like this is the first time since I've had those friends that the Patriots have ever had a losing season. I and my fandom has been the butt of the joke for them for years they enjoy it uh they at sometimes they just sarcastically root for the jets for me because they think it's funny um seeing just the general nature of like a jets fan and how ridiculous it can be i just i thought it was perfectly done it was yeah. over the top enough to be ridiculous but at the same time, you're like, this is not that crazy. I've seen that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, here, so on that post, th- here's the thing I didn't like about it. So Trump fans actually believe that Trump won the election, even though he didn't. There are no Jet fans who actually think the Jets are good. Like, clearly there are no Jet fans who think they won all 11. But are there any Jet fans in your life who are like, this team's really good. I think they should have what, what, the what is the game you think the, uh, the SNL uh, Jets fan think they lost? Because it said they're 0-12, but then uh, Beck Bennett comes on. It's like, well, the Jets have actually won 11 games this year. Well, Well, no, that game happened after, right? Yeah. I think it's got to be the Chiefs game, right? That's got to be the one. Hmm. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, they were 0-12, but Beck Bennett comes on. The Raiders game, maybe the guy turned it off early and just assumed that they won. Right, but we're trying to find the one that they think they lost. Yeah, so he comes on and says, the Jets have actually won 11 games this year, so which is the game that they did lose? See, I would say it's the Pats game, because, you know, you have to. Yeah, it doesn't right, matter so how positive. I, I voted for the Chiefs, you voted for the Pats. What, who do you, which game do you vote for, Adam? I don't remember. This team, this season sucked. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing I did take out of it, though, which I, which I could so see, too, though, is maybe not from the fans, but at least with the ownership, because while we're hopeful and we hope that we get uh, – Trevor Lawrence and we all love Joe Douglas and what he's doing. The, the fact still remains that we root for a team that's currently 0 and 13. They're the worst team in football. And we hope Joe Douglas is the guy, but there, there's still a chance 
he might not be. I mean, there's still a long Just bite way your to tongue. Go. What is the matter with you? Do not speak ill of Joe Douglas. My point is, is one of the big things in this skit in this sketch was uh, Beck Bennett comes on and he's like, well, if you look at the numbers closely, uh, specifically the Bills game, it says they lost 18 to 10. But if you look, they were actually up three nothing at the end of the first quarter. And then all of a sudden the Bills start scoring all these points. So I don't know. I could just see, though, like a Jets like ticket rep, like calling me and being like, well, the Jets went 0 16 last year, but they really were not as bad as the record because, you know, the Jets actually had like nine games where they scored first. And if you go. And so if you stop the game 10 minutes in, the Jets would have made the playoffs last season and gone nine. You know, seven. You know, my favorite part of the thing was that Pete Davis is just sitting there eating these French fries the whole time. It like that was such a deliberate <laughs> decision, and it was so perfect because we've we he had the paper plate and these greasy <laughs> like fry. Like I've seen people eat those fries and talk about the Jets before. I, it was such a great decision, right? Just to have him stuffing his face with these greasy fries the whole time. I also love the uh, the shirt Timothy Chalamet is wearing in it, where it says uh, "back to back to back champ." 16, Those are all Pat's years, weren't they? <laughs> Two of them, what? yeah. Two of them were Pat's years, yeah. Yeah, it's also like how, 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 just like three such if, miserable years. If the Jets won three Super Bowls in a row, how much would you wear that shirt? I think I might wear it every day for a month. Uh, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble given where I live. That's well, you know, let's let's hope we end up in a world where you can be seen outside again wearing Jets attire by other people. Wouldn't that be Is nice? there any TV show or movie that Timothy Chalamet is not in right now? Like, oh my god, that guy is just everywhere. He, he's like you open up your closet and he's just hanging out there. Yeah. What is it? He's I don't know. He spells his I don't name get weird. It. I don't what? like it. He spells his name weird. I don't like it. Honestly, I wasn't even that aware of him until he's, um, our niece was like, oh, yeah, Timothy Chalamet. He's great. And it was like, who? What? I, it's, literally everywhere. He is everywhere. I had no idea. He blends in very well, apparently, in my view. Well, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We can't go anywhere. So it's hard to know that he's everywhere. It's true. All right. Justin. All right. Last point about the SNL sketch. We can't forget that they had to, that they threw in a Knicks dig at the end of it, which was just so perfect. Is that not the best? <laughs> Nick's point we've had in the last 20 years though I mean hey for, for, they're not wrong for four days in uh in in 2012 Jeremy Lin uh was, was the best was player, the best in, the player in basketball <laughs> <laughs> and it was I mean for Nick's fans it was probably the best moment of the last 10 years probably it's all just so sad and depressing <laughs> yeah no. all right we had we had a couple of jet points we wanted to make before we uh, signed off. Well, so the few things that I had written down to talk about, um, they're just things that have been brought up on past podcasts. First was in reference to uh, Mackay Becton. Um, it, it was it was mentioned um, that he was noticed as early as 2018, but I was looking back and like Louisville was two and 10 that year. And they had the 123rd ranked offense out of 130 in NCAA football. And it was so bad that year that Bobby Petrino got fired. So I just found myself in that moment, very curious <laughs> what was occurring. Cause I remember being a Syracuse fan, seeing a lot of Louisville and they were a train wreck, absolute train wreck after the Lamar Jackson year. And Mackay Becton's first year playing, 
he played uh, in 2017, he played 10 games and he had Lamar Jackson behind him. So no one was really rushing to get around a left tackle. Now, of course, Kai Becton's come out really good in his senior year. He played great. And I love the way he's been on the jets, but it was, I just found it surprising in that moment that there was something an average fan was noticing. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be hard. I don't you know. I don't know this person. It just blew my mind. It, <laughs> it was also that talking about Justin Herbert, that he was, you know, no one was noticing him because Justin Herbert was projected to be the first overall pick if he had come out after junior year. And he still ended up being the third quarterback taken after two phenomenal QBs in front of him. So there's just little things involving football and college football that popped You're out. You're casting some shade at our former guest, Harrison Glazer, aren't you? I am. I am. It was, it was, it was surprising to me. He had, he had a lot of really good points, but those two, I was just like, what? Huh? Especially the Herbert one. I'm like, he was going to be the number one pick. What do you mean? Travis, you know who had Justin Herbert in our fantasy league this year? Who? Ryan, Ryan Becker. Becker. Of course. <laughs> of course. But um, okay. and then to the other thing I wanted to for talking about Jets coaches, um, guest who was on and my good friend Eric Montabano was talking about Harbaugh and talent. I just wanted to personally point out when it comes to Harbaugh, I don't like the hire because of what he's done with the talent at Michigan, and I have big concerns because he's had a lot of really good recruiting classes, so he hasn't lacked in talent. His first year, it was the 37th class. But in 2016 and 2017, who are redshirt seniors and seniors or redshirt juniors this year, that was the eighth and fifth ring class. So he's had talent to coach throughout that time. Um, I just don't think he's getting the best out of his talent. And I have concerns that if he became the coach of the Jets, there would be issues with players and personalities. And Harbaugh is kind of a quirky dude. Not that that's anything wrong with it. But when it comes to the Jets, that's a pick that would make me nervous. Just want to throw this in there. I love you, Monty, but... I'm not a fan of it. Question with that. So, I mean, a lot of people don't equate, don't think about this or equate it uh, in this way, but the same way that players decline over time, I I absolutely think this happens with coaches too. You know, I mean, these coaches, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're up, you know, looking, living, breathing football, 18, 19 hours a day. And I think over time, some of these coaches do slip do you think that that's something that's happened with Harbaugh? Like maybe he's just not as good a coach now as he was eight years ago when he took the Niners to the Super Bowl. Maybe. And I'll, I'll say not as good. He's still coached a major college team. Guy will know more football than I ever will in my entire life. And he's been very successful. So I'm not trying to be one of those random people who's like, Harbaugh sucks. Well, of course, he doesn't but, know what he's doing. But, again, but yeah, I, I think there is something that has been amiss at Michigan, and it, it does concern me. It was something Urban Meyer said um, – who look? Urban Meyer has a lot of flaws. I wouldn't want him coaching the Jets either. He's but a he, friend of the pot, friend of the pot, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. <laughs> he he's been really good at getting the most out of his talent, which is oh, he's always recruited really well and had great players. But he had said something regarding Michigan, and it was defending the players because there are a lot of people coming out saying Michigan sucks or players are horrible, this and that. And he said, look, no one is terrible who plays at Michigan. The coaches themselves aren't really terrible but there's a miscue and they're not getting the most out of the players there is a time where you're not optimizing the talent everyone who makes it to that level is really good but they're just there's a miss there at some point and the way he presented it was much clearer than what i'm saying it probably sounds like rubbish to everyone but what it well it's like sam Darnold. he's a terrible nfl quarterback but he's one of the 30 best quarterbacks in the world yeah well and it's it's the coaching is 
not getting out of him what it can. And with Harbaugh, it seems to be that he is not the biggest flaws with Harbaugh at Michigan have been they lose against ranked teams. I think he has he's like four and nine against ranked teams, and two of those wins were his first two games in 2015 against ranked teams. So since then, he has two wins. He hasn't been able to get his players to get up for the big moment. They haven't been playing to what many would think is their potential, and it's been constant letdown after letdown. And I just am it concerns me that there would be such such high expectations you have this hope that he's this quarterback whisperer and that he can groom a QB but it hasn't happened in a few years and we all reference back to Andrew Luck but Andrew Luck was the third rated quarterback coming out of high school he was supposed to be really good he was at Stanford and they were playing a scheme where it was run the ball down your throat run the ball down your throat play action and he was making great throws we all know that Luck was great in the NFL but that hasn't happened with other people after. So it, it just concerns me. He could yeah. end up coming here and being great. I could be very wrong. It's just, that's yeah. my opinion in this. Moment. I think, uh, you know what I think? I think, I think you and Monty might need to have a rumble. That, that felt like a lot of shade <laughs> thrown Monty's way. It, it did. I was, I was uncomfortable. You spent, well, I, you spent I, a lot of time dispelling uh, Monty's belief that, uh, well, well, I, I was, I was listening. I was listening to the, no, I wasn't going to, I was going to do the thing about Harrison, who I don't know, and I'd, I'd love to, I guess, meet him virtually. I think the shade him. toward Monty but, was, was the, the, considerably was larger. It was a lot darker. I was thinking about a lot because I was listening darker to the shade. previous pod while I was uh, <laughs> going for a walk around the block in the freezing cold with my son to help calm him down. And I had a lot of time to absorb it. And because I know Monty very well, I found myself going, no, Monty, no. No, but I couldn't say anything to him. So I found myself just thinking and thinking and thinking. Well, you were able to get it out there and you guys should hash it out. Now it's it's out there for the whole world to hear. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. But um, the other thing is involving Jets is I just wanted to point out uh, this weekend for anyone who isn't aware, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are playing in their conference championship games. Um, Fields is going against Northwestern, who has the, I think, 13th ranked overall defense and Lawrence is going up against Notre Dame, who we, most people would know is um, unfortunately a great program because I hate them. Uh, but they have the 14th ranked overall defense. Uh, they previously played. Uh, Notre Dame won the game. But it's a good opportunity to see both of them play against good teams because oftentimes in college, these quarterbacks are making throws and their wide receivers are super open and you can't really tell because they're such a talent differential. But these are the games to kind of really get your grasp on uh, how they do when it matters uh, against good talent. And hopefully it'll be enjoyable to watch because football has kind of been rough this year. So maybe we can get some good future glimpses and feel better about uh, the choices the Jets have in front of them. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, speaking of that, I feel like it's going to be a really weird viewing experience on a Saturday because it's one of the first times I can ever remember uh, major college football going head to head with the NFL. Cause I know there's a few Saturday games, uh, one of which we'll, we'll end up, uh, picky. We're going to make picks on here, uh, in our week 15 NFL picks, but, uh, that, that's got me excited. Like being able to flip back and forth between, uh, some NFL and uh, college, uh, on Saturday will be fun. Uh, uh, so, uh, with that, let, let's, let's get into our, uh, and thank you for, uh, those points. Uh, we'll, we'll have to reach out to, uh, Harrison it was, it was and, uh, Monty to, uh, no, it, it's get a lot to get out there. Yeah. 
And we, and we love uh, you're, you're, you're taking all uh, the born in 87 content in and uh, refuting. And again, if you ever if you ever disagree with our points, pl- please. Uh, I know we're the host, but uh, pl- please come at us. Uh, we'll, we'll still have you back. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> all right. Um, without any further ado, let's get into uh, our week 15 NFL picks. Uh, Adam, you, you've been a lot better the last two. You're seven and one over the last two weeks, but uh Still, still four picks behind me on the season. You're uh, at 23, 31, and two. I'm 27, 27, and two. Uh, three weeks left to uh, to okay. make it up. I, I really need to win this because I've lost just about all of our random prop bets this year. So, I, so I need to win the season long picks pool. <laughs> yes, um, I think we're going to take similar teams this week. There's just one of these picks I'm having a hard time with. Uh, yeah. And Travis, as you know, as always, uh, if 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 you beat both of us, you get a six pack. Uh, so because uh, of that, I might just be picking differently for the chance because <laughs> going on doesn't 40. usually work as a strategy, but you're welcome to do whatever you feel best. Yeah, I feel, <laughs> I won't tell you what, what, what worked. I mean, J- James and Lance are the only two that have been able to do it. And so I won't I won't share their strategies. But um, <laughs> okay. uh, anyways, let, let's uh, get into the pick. So the Jets out on the West Coast again this week, they're playing the L.A. Rams in Los Angeles, and they are 17 point underdogs. This game is Sunday at four o'clock. Uh, I'll go first. Um, I, the, the jets look like absolute dog crap last week. Um, but, uh, I, I don't see them laying that big of an egg two weeks in a row. Also the Rams, I could see a little looking ahead. They have a monumental game against Seattle in week 16. Uh, I, I don't think the jets will win. I don't think it'll be particularly close, but that's just so many points. So I'm, I'm taking the jets. Oh, <sighs> I was really going back and forth because you took the Jets. I'm going to take the Rams. I just, it's such a big spread, but they just lost so badly last week. And I actually think the Rams are a better team than Seattle. Um, Yeah. I I just personally think that that was a Seattle after losing that game to the giants was super, super motivated. And I don't see the Rams being super, super motivated. I I think the Rams could play at like 50% of their best and still win this. I don't know. Yes. I think they might be looking ahead at that Seattle game in week 16, but that's just me. Uh, Travis, which way are you going on this one? I'm going to take the Jets to cover, but I, more than almost any other game this season, I pray they lose because if they beat the Rams, they not only fall out of the first overall pick, but they also potentially give Seattle the division or help Seattle go into first place in the division, moving uh, the oh, that's guess, right. lowest possibility of that <laughs> draft pick to become higher <laughs> and just point. helping them get further in the playoffs possibly, uh, which just hurts the Jets even more. So there's there's no benefit at all and just tons <laughs> of negative that can come from them winning this game. So I'm taking the Jets to cover, but I just pray that they lose. Well, think about this. They could be losing 30-7. to seven. The Jets could score a touchdown with like 12 seconds left, make it 30-14, to 14, and they cover. But the Jets are just so bad at scoring touchdowns. <laughs> they are. That's a good point. Uh, all right. So me and Travis have the Jets. Adam has the Rams. Next game, this will be one of those games that uh, goes head-to-head with some of that uh, Saturday college football. Uh, Saturday, 4.30 p.m., the Buffalo Bills are in Denver. And Buffalo, uh, coming off a huge win over the Pittsburgh Steelers, are six-and-a-half-point uh, favorites in Denver. Uh, I'll go first. Um 
while I admit I am almost definitely going to lose that bet to you, Buffalo is seems almost a lock to win this division. Uh, I, I think they'll probably win this game, but uh, Denver's been playing pretty good. It's always tough to go play at Denver. Um, I, I don't know. I, I see this being a one-score game, so I, I'm going to take uh, Denver plus six and a half. Yeah, I thought about this game a lot. Um, I think the line actually opened a lot closer, and I was surprised because I think Buffalo is a lot better than Denver. I'm going to take Buffalo. I, I think they they win big. I'm not so sold on Denver, though I do admit they have been playing better and their defense is decent, but I'm going to take Buffalo. Yeah. I think we go Buffalo too. They they've they've put themselves in a position to have so much to play for. And Denver they just have been off this year. They haven't been a great team. So winning by 7 wouldn't surprise me. I'll I'll take Buffalo. All right. Uh, our next game is the an inter, inter, intra division game. Uh, the New England Patriots at the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins are favored by two. Uh, I, I need a second on this one, uh, Adam. You go first. I'm gonna take the Dolphins. Um, I don't feel great about this. I just I think they're gonna end up winning. Though, like I said, I don't I don't feel great. It doesn't seem like Cam Newton can throw the ball really anymore. And that's something you kind of need to do. And Miami has a, just an excellent defense. Um yeah, I'll 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 take the Dolphins. Right, Travis. Dolphins. I don't have much more. I just taking the Dolphins. Pats. Uh, some games they look great, some games they look absolutely terrible. And Miami looked uh fairly competent last week. Very competent, actually. I mean, they they stay close against the best team in football. Uh, they look good. It's yeah. This this line seems weird because is it like I know I know uh, this has been a weird COVID year, but I think Miami actually does have fans at the game, and I know like the whole the whole rule is if the teams are even, the home team gets three points. So it feels just really weird that the Dolphins are only getting two. I'm gonna take them. It's just out of respect Dolphins for the Patriots. That's what it I, is. I guess I'm taking the Dolphins also. I was very tempted to take the Pats, but Pats have burned me a lot. I'm pretty sure I have a losing record on the Patriots this season. So if, if the Patriots and you invested heavily in Cam Newton this year, that didn't work out so great for you. It if looked great Patriots... for two weeks. <laughs> I told you he sucked. Yeah, he got I COVID. This is one though, where if the Pats win, I look at it more like, oh man, the Dolphins just did a Dolphins thing. It's not like we'd be feeling like, oh, the Pats are good and they've just done what the Patriots always do and win these games it's it's almost like the Dolphins would do what the Jets would do it's a game where you like need to win it's against teams not playing that well come through and screw it up so I also feel like the um <coughs> I also feel like with the uh the Dolphins like they already had their like we're overlooking a bad team game when they lost to Denver a few weeks back like I just I don't like the Patriots aren't very good right now um, which will probably bite us all in the ass because they're the Patriots and they still have Bill Belichick, but I don't know. Um, I'm taking the Dolphins. I mean, this, the, whole, the other weird thing about this line too is like, I mean, I know Brady's not there anymore, but this is one of the places where like, when I think of like, where have the Patriots had trouble over the years, like the two AFC places where I feel like they've had, or it's, it's like Miami and uh, Denver, I feel like are the two places where the Pats have always struggled in those two buildings. Like they're great everywhere else. So I don't know this for so many reasons. This is weird. I don't know. Let's move. I think there's enough. We've spent enough time talking about this game. Let's move on. Uh, final game. We're going to pick and we, we we're picking it because uh, 
it involves the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this is the team that we'd love to see win a game because if they won a game, then the Jets could win a game and still get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Baltimore is favored by 13 and a half. Um, I'm taking Jacksonville in this one. Uh, uh, 13 and a half is a lot of points. Um, Jacksonville has been, they weren't last week, but they've been close in a lot of games. Uh, Baltimore's coming off an emotional uh, Monday night victory over Cleveland. Uh, Lamar Jackson got banged up uh, for, for all those reasons. Uh, I'll take the points with Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville is terrible. And I think Baltimore's playing better. I think they win by more than 13. So taking Baltimore. Hold Travis. on, give me, give me a second. I'm just trying to run the math on the previous picks to see who I uh, should While, while Travis is figuring that out, uh, important to note that uh, me and Adam are going uh, separate directions on three of the four games this week. So if you if you get all of those right, Adam, uh, you'll pick up three games and be just one game back of me going into the final two weeks. Fingers crossed. I'm also taking the favorite in two massive spreads, which I do not normally do, but got to make up ground somehow. Yeah. So Travis, right. which way, I don't, I don't think it matters because no matter what, the best I can do is I think tie one of you guys. So I'm just yeah. going to take Baltimore, which is what I think. <laughs> All right. Uh, so those are our week 15 picks. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to lie, Travis. I, I this went a little long, but I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I did too. We, we got to talk some Mets. We got to talk some Jets. We got to talk some Ryan Becker. Uh, <laughs> As we do every week. Yeah, uh, and then and then I just started talking about random crap. So we're good. <laughs> the enigma always, and mystery that is Ryan fun. Becker. Uh, <laughs> if you don't already follow us on Instagram and Twitter, follow us at born in eighty seven. Uh, send us an email born in eighty seven pod at gmail.com. and please give us a five star if if you like us, give us a five star review on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, Travis, uh, can't wait for round four on the pod. Yeah, I'm very excited. Can't wait to come back. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Travis. Have a good one. <laughs>